Hello, everyone. Welcome to another special bonus episode of the VectorCast, a podcast about classic arcade vector games. I'm your host, Michael Zenner, coming to you from lovely Portland, Oregon. Today we're going to take a break from our regular game-by-game format and talk in some greater detail about the black and white vector monitors that Atari used in their arcade games. This is going to be generally just an overview of the basic anatomy and kind of an identification guide to these monitors and not a deep engineering level analysis of vector theory. So if you're looking to get a basic understanding of what you're looking at in the back of an Asteroids game, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for a more detailed analysis of what's going on under the hood of a vector monitor, I will put some links in the show notes for some documents that really offer some great and detailed explanations, but we're not really going to be going into those deeply today. So, what are the basic components of a vector monitor? In general, vector monitors basically have two major components. They've got a deflection section and a high voltage section. The deflection board or the deflection section is there to take the vector values that are generated by the game board and turn them into a signal that can be projected onto the back of the screen on the picture tube. In really highly simplified terms, there are three channels that need to be amplified. There's X and Y, which are fairly self-explanatory. They're the horizontal and vertical components of each vector or each line that is being drawn. And then there's the Z channel, which basically turns the electron beam on and off, or in some cases sets the intensity level of the beam. So you can have difference in brightness based on uh, on your Z value. And this is the basic function of a deflection section or deflection board. It takes the data from the game board in the form of X, Y, and Z channels, amplifies it into a form that can be displayed. Uh, The deflection board is also where uh, most of the picture adjustments can be made, including contrast, centering, as well as linearity on the X and Y channels, which are used to correct issues with alignment. So if you've got, uh, if you're displaying a square, for example, and the corners don't quite line up, you'd use your linearity adjustments to uh, correct that. Before we move on though, there's one final but very important circuit that lives on the deflection section. And you won't be around vector games very long before you start hearing people talking about something called a spot killer. And a spot killer is not a way to get rid of your dog or clean your suit. Sorry. Rather, it's a uh, self-defense mechanism that is built into vector monitors. And like any other CRT, a vector monitor is subject to phosphor burn which is the state in which the phosphor coating on the inside of the tube, uh, which is what gets energized and emits light, has been energized so much that it has started to lose some of its ability to emit light. This usually happens when a CRT has been left on for a long time uh, while displaying a static image, you know, something that isn't moving. Uh, When a screen has been burned, the image will be visible when the display is powered off, uh, and it looks almost like a photo negative. Uh, The image remains as as a dark area or a dark pattern against the lighter gray of the rest of the screen. And this can happen with any CRT, but vector monitors are particularly susceptible to burn uh, because the electron gun only activates a very small percentage of the total area of the screen and energizes that area over and over and at a higher level of uh, intensity than a raster. So it's very easy for a vector monitor to burn its screen in a relatively short period of time. The spot killer circuit is designed to protect the monitor from burning a hole in the center of the screen if it stops receiving proper XY signals from the game board. And without a proper signal, the X and Y channels will default to the center of the screen, and if the electron gun is allowed to stay on, the phosphor in the center of the screen will burn through very quickly, leaving a permanent dead spot right in the middle of the display. 
And I have seen tubes where uh, the spot killer has failed and the phosphor has burned off so much that it is literally clear glass. You can look inside and see the inside of the tube. So it is a, it's a bad deal. So in the absence of X or Y signals, the failure of the Z channel, and there's a few other failures that can cause it to happen, but the spot killer circuit will activate and it shuts off the electron gun. And in most designs, and in all the designs that we'll be talking about today, there's an LED on the deflection board that will light up. And uh, if you're looking in the back of the game, it will let you know what's going on, that the spot killer has activated. And the first thing to look at is, why is your monitor not getting signal? OK, that's the deflection section. The second part of the system is the high voltage, or HV, section. And it's often called an HV cage. In the, in the context of these monitors, since it's usually enclosed in a metal shield, so it looks like a metal box with a bunch of little vent holes punched in it. The HV section takes the information from the deflection board and actually projects it onto the back of the screen. This is the section that contains the flyback transformer, and the term flyback transformer is actually sort of a misnomer in this case, but we're not going to be getting into that in great detail. The flyback, though, has the anode wire coming off of it, which is a thing that needs to be discharged. And if you've ever even started to delve into any kind of CRT repair, you've certainly heard about discharging the anode, discharging the flyback, discharging the tube, discharging the monitor, discharging something. And this is that part. And I'm not going to get into how to properly discharge, except to say that you definitely should do it before you start messing around in any monitor. And you should definitely take some time also to make sure you're doing it safely. Anyway, the flyback has controls on it for brightness and focus, and these usually need to be adjusted with a tool, uh, while the adjustments on the deflection board can be adjusted with your fingers. Okay, so that's the basic anatomy of any vector monitor. Uh, Atari basically used three different monitors in their black and white games, and they are the 19-inch Electrohome Geo 5-801, which was used in Lunar Lander and early Asteroids machines the Electrohome Geo 5-802 and the Wells Gardner 19V2000, which were used almost interchangeably in the rest of Atari's US manufactured black and white vector games. Uh, there were also 15 inch variants of the last two, which were the uh, Geo 5-805 and the 15V2000. And they were used mainly for cabaret and cocktail versions of the various games. There were also some other monitors used by Atari for games, mainly that were manufactured outside of the US, but we won't be covering those in depth here, and I'm sorry for uh, any listeners that are not in the US, um, but we're just not going to be talking about those. Okay, so I've named five different monitors, and it turns out that of the five, only one is actually meaningfully different, which is the first one, the Electrohome Geo 5-801. This monitor uh, has a design that uses a total of three boards, while the rest of the monitors use a two-board design, and the Geo 5-801 requires uh, different input voltages than the others, and so getting it wrong can have some potentially really bad results. Now, on the other hand, the 801 uses two plugs from the wiring harness, while the rest of the monitors use a single plug, so you'd really have to work at it to hook the wrong monitor up. So the 801 was used, uh, as I mentioned, uh, it was the first one that Atari released, and it was used in Lunar Lander and the very early Asteroids machines. And in my opinion, the 801 is a perfectly fine monitor. It's just as easy to maintain and rebuild as the others are, and it looks just fine. The only real disadvantage to it, as I see it, is its lack of interchangeability with the, with the other monitors, and the fact that not as many of them were built. So if you do need to replace a part, it might be harder to track down. 
Now that said, if you have a lunar lander or an asteroid with an 801 in it, there's absolutely no reason to try and change it out. And that's good because it takes a lot more than just changing a connector or building a wiring adapter to make it work. Okay, I've just mentioned interchangeability and here's why. There are four monitors left that I have to talk about and I'm actually going to talk about them as a single system. There are 19 and 15 inch versions of the Geo5 and the V2000 and as I said, I'm going to talk about them as a common system because they really are remarkably similar. They're what's called plug compatible, which means they can be swapped freely. So if your Geo5-802 dies 15 minutes before your arcade party and you happen to have a 19V2000 sitting around, you can slap the 19V2000 into your game and everyone will have fun and you can work on your Geo5-802 at your leisure. So you can swap the monitors in and out interchangeably. They are a two-board design with a single deflection board and a single high-voltage cage, which is different from the 801, which had the, uh, the HV section split into two boards. The Geo5-802 and the 19V2000, uh, as I mentioned, are plug-compatible. And not only can one monitor be swapped for another, but with only a couple of extremely minor exceptions, the individual boards can be swapped interchangeably. So yeah, if your 19V2000 deflection board has an issue, you can substitute a Geo5-802 deflection board and vice versa. The only real exception that I'm aware of is that the deflection board on the 15-inch version of the Geo5, which is called the Geo5-805, has a couple of resistors that are different, that are a different value than the rest of the group. Now this is only going to matter if you're going to take a deflection board from the 15-inch version and use it in a 19-inch monitor. In that case, you want to change out the resistors. Otherwise, virtually any other combination will work without issue. So any deflection board and any HV cage combination from the Geo5-802 or 19V2000 family can be interchanged uh, without issue. These monitors are similar enough that when I've gone to buy cap kits, uh, I have yet to see any supplier that sells a separate cap kit for the Geo5 versus the V2000 series. They are the same kit. The instructions always include diagrams for both board sets, and it's the same caps. They're just sometimes in a slightly different physical location on the board. And also, there may be one or two extra caps left over depending on which monitor you're capping. And speaking of capping, these monitors are actually really simple machines compared to, say, a color raster television or a color raster monitor. There are relatively few common points of failure, and they are generally easily addressed. I'm not going to go into great depth on how to troubleshoot or repair a monitor, but you can look in the show notes for some great documents that will help you on your way. That said, for the black and white monitors used by Atari, the first things to look at is going to be the easy stuff, which is generally the bottle cap transistors that are attached to the frame of the monitor. They can go bad and cause some pretty obvious problems. Also, the solder joints on the boards at the header pins on all the boards can come loose, so reflowing those is generally advisable. And finally, there's a smaller likelihood that the HV diode, which is a large diode which lives in the flyback anode wire, which again is the big wire that goes from the flyback to the suction cup-like thing on the back of the tube. Again, that's the thing that you need to be discharged before you start working on the monitor. That diode in there occasionally can go bad as well, so that's worth looking at. And those three things right there are the big things that I personally have dealt with in owning and caring for uh, a number of these monitors over the years. So to sum it up before we finish, there are, broadly speaking, five different monitor designations that are found in Atari black and white vector games released in the U.S. Those would be the Geo5-801, the Geo5-802, the Geo5-805, 
the 19V2000, and the 15V2000. That said, there really are only two different monitor designs, the Geo 5-801 and everything else. The everything else, of course, comes in two sizes, 19-inch and 15-inch, but other than size, they are nearly identical and almost completely interchangeable, again, with just that one or possibly two little caveats about some of the resistors being different on a couple of the boards. And that is what I have for you today on Atari's black and white vector monitors. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this special episode as much as I've enjoyed making it. And if you have, please consider subscribing. You can look for us on Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on our website at VectorCastPodcast.com, Facebook at Facebook.com slash VectorCast, or follow us on Instagram at Instagram.com slash VectorCastPodcast. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again on our next regularly scheduled episode where we will be covering 1979's runaway hit for Atari, Asteroids. Asteroids.